we are drawing to a conclusion uh, our series in First Corinthians. So we've been traveling through uh, First Corinthians and, and going through each chapter, uh, chapter by chapter uh, for the, I can't remember, the past, it seems like a long time. And we're looking at the closing remarks from Paul this morning. And uh, we're going to be going, flipping back. It's a wee bit jumping from uh, passage to passage because next week we're going to be looking at uh, the resurrection. Uh, but this week we're going to be looking at chapter 16. So Paul has been writing and advising and spurring on uh, the early church of Corinth. And uh, he's bringing the letter to a close. And it brings, uh, the whole letter it brings a heaps, of ch- heaps of challenges uh, to us in different areas. And, but it's also really exciting, and especially this morning, what we're going to be looking at and delving into is really exciting in terms of the opportunities and the positive stuff uh, that God uh, wants, to, wants us to enter into. So, and the main thing is when we leave here, I, I don't, we don't want any of us leaving here with conviction and feeling, oh, I haven't done this, or oh, no, I should have done that. We want people to be leaving free and actually feeling challenged in the way that they're going to go out and, and do kingdom stuff. And they're feeling freed up to do that and do what God, God has called them into. So we're going to be reading 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 14, and it's going to be on the screen as well, but I cannot predict how clear it will be on the screen. There we go. That's not too bad, is it? That's okay. And I'm going to ask Phil. I don't think you've ever been our Bible distributor. The pressure is on. Let's have a cheer for Phil. If you don't have a Bible, put your hand up and we'll get a Bible out to you. We would love you to have a Bible at home as well uh, as a gift from us. If you don't have one at home, please take one free of charge. And in these Bibles we're handing out, it's in 1157. And for the rest of us, it's about that far into your Bible. You can give it a shot. Why don't we pray before we, we read God's word? Lord, standing here this morning, we're, we're thrilled at what you're doing in this church. We're thrilled at, at what you're speaking into people's lives. We're, we're thrilled at what uh, you're ministering to in our lives, Lord, what you're changing, what you're starting. And we pray, will you just continue? Will you please continue what you are doing? And any, anything that we're getting in the way of, we want to identify that, Lord. And we thank you for your word. We thank you that you want to speak to each and every one of us. No one is discounted this morning, Lord, as we walk in through these doors and take a seat. No one is discounted. Everyone gets to play. And Lord, I pray for any of us that have uh, significant situations going on right now, will you, uh, who, who are hinging on a word from you, will you speak? In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. 
But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work is open to me and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urge, urged him to go with you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in, and I'm going to give this a shot, Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refresh my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Amen. There's a story uh, that a famous writer called Tennessee Williams, has any of us heard of Tennessee Williams? A lot of us will have. And he tells a story of a man called Jacob Brodsky. Now, Jacob Brodsky was a shy Russian uh, Jew, and he fell in love with a, a lady called Leela. Now, Leela was an adventurous French lady who just dared to do different stuff, wanted to go on an adventure in life. And uh, Jacob and Leela ended up marrying. They ended up marrying. And while all that was happening, Jacob's dad owned a bookshop. And uh, Jacob's dad got very ill during the first couple of months of their marriage. And sadly, he passed away. Jacob and his now new wife moved into an apartment above the bookshop. And Jacob absolutely loved this. He loved it. He was in his element. He was reading books. He was, uh, that's all he was doing, reading loads and loads of books. Whereas Leela was getting a wee bit kind of tetchy. She's like, I need, to, I need to go on an adventure. You're here reading books. I need to go and travel. I need to go and see other stuff. And what transpired is she ended up uh, going and traveling and leaving him to do that. Jacob, when that happened, gave Leela a key. And he said to her, you'll be back. I'll be waiting. Here's a key to the apartment. Fifteen years later, she came back. Came to the desk of the bookstore and Jacob said, do you want a book? She couldn't believe that he didn't recognize her. So she said, yes, I want a book. Here's the story. I want, the, I want a book that speaks about uh, a Russian man who fell madly in love uh, with a French lady who loved adventure and who owned a bookstore. Have you got that book in store? No, I don't believe we do. She dropped the key and she ran out. Gradually, she had realized that he had lost touch with his heart's desire. He had got so lost and so distant from his one true love. And sometimes we face the same challenge that Jacob Brodsky had. That sometimes we get so lost and so distant from all the love that God has for us. The truth of Jesus' death and resurrection, what that means for us and how we're to use that love to love other people. The church in Corinth were, were guilty of it. And we can be too. But all is not lost. 
God wants us to realign our hearts. We are to receive afresh the love that, that he has for us. And to look through the lens of his love at every point. And that's what that's meant to say. Through the lens of love. It looks a bit like rough off. Anyway, never mind. Through the lens of love. That's what he wants us to do. At every point in our lives, we look through the lens of love. And if we do that, we begin to realize what we're here for. We begin to realize how we're to live in a way that is honoring and pleasing to God and to take opportunities that he gives us. And that's exciting. That's kingdom work at its fullest and presents opportunity to bless others, which shines of Jesus. So firstly, uh, it's a call to considered and intentional giving. Oh, this isn't going well at all. Is it? <laughs> a call to considered and intentional giving. And on that subject, there's a story of a mother who wanted to teach her, her daughter a moral lesson. She gave the little girl a quarter and she also gave the little girl a dollar for church. So she, off she went to church and the mother said to the daughter, whichever one, put whatever one you want into the collection plate. So it's your choice and keep the other one for yourself. So when they were coming out of the church, the mother said to the daughter, so what did you do? Well, said the little girl, I was going to give the dollar, but just before the collection, a man in the pulpit came up to me and said we should all be cheerful givers. I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I gave the quarter. So I did. We are, are not the kind of church that harp on about money on a weekly basis or preach about regularly giving to the church. We maybe do that one, once a year. Chuck would do a series and we'd live link into the service into Aberdeen. But we definitely, definitely, definitely want to be speaking to our congregation about being good stewards of the money we receive, of being joyful givers. Uh, Paul in verse 1 to 4, he speaks about the collection for the Lord's people. And I don't think this is instructions on a Sunday giving or tithing. Instead, what I think it is, it's a deliberate call from Paul on considered and intentional giving. And within that is to be a joy. So it's more an overall uh, picture in terms of, of money. And we could have a whole series uh, on that stuff, but we don't have enough time. So what I want to do is to just pick up one or two little nuggets. Firstly, be intentional. Be intentional. It says in the passage that no collections are to be made. So I, I kind of picture that as there's families that are sitting around the table, the dinner table, discussing, you know, what can we do? What can we give? Who can we bless? How can they bring hope through giving to someone else? Our giving, what Paul, I feel, is, is saying in this passage is our giving isn't to be a spare change moment, a last-minute scramble, but a generous, considered, and intentional act. Strategic, thought through, and prayed through. Commentators who uh, study the passage and look at the history and the context, uh, one of the commentators on this passage say that this act that Paul is calling the church in Corinth to is a practical way of raising funds to help people in need and to express Christian fellowship. What does that mean for us? To be intentional with our money so that when we have an emergency in our small groups that meet through the week or somebody in our congregation, their car breaks down, small groups club together and buy a new car. 
when resources are tight. And that actually happened in our south site uh, a couple of years ago where a small group clubbed together and bought a family who needed the car to travel into the south site, who were living way down further south, couldn't come to church. They clubbed together and bought them a new car. Also means maybe when friends lose their jobs, when couples struggle to finance a dinner out together perhaps, even the small things. For Paul, it was a gesture to help the Christians in Jerusalem. That's why he was speaking about it. He wanted to help the Christians in Jerusalem. But it was also a gesture of solidarity. It was also a gesture of we're in this together. Now, uh, I've made a a bit of a semi-commitment to doing what's called the the Tough Mudder. Has anybody heard of the Tough Mudder? There's a few people going, you've got to be kidding. I can see their faces the minute I said that. So the Tough Mudder, as soon as I mention it, yeah, Mary doesn't think I'll do it, which makes me more determined to give it a shot. So the Tough Mudder, I think, I think, I've not even researched it properly. It's like, I've watched the video on YouTube, so that kind of counts. It's a a 10-mile endurance race. And it isn't like you just run. There's loads of different challenges. If uh, you've seen Ninja Warrior on TV, it's like that, but 100 times worse. Uh, You can get electrocuted, and there's lots of mud, and there's freezing cold water, and lots of jumps, and lots of running. But when I was watching the video, and I might do it, watch this space. What, when I watched the video, what I loved was that there was one in particular, I think it was the very last kind of moment, the last part of the race, there was like this wall and you had to run up. And what I loved was the picture of people uh, that were lining the top of the wall who had already scaled it with their hands out. It was just a line of hands. And it wasn't a case of, uh, I want to come first, or I want to beat my friend, or I need to get a certain time. It was a case of we're in this together, the line of hands. So as you approach that wall, there's just a line of hands ready to to take a grip of you and to pull you up over the wall. We are one. We are in this together. In the messiness of life, we're going to help you through this. That's what I think Paul was trying to communicate. So we're to be intentional. Secondly, We're to be good stewards. In verse 3 to 4, it speaks of sending men to deliver the gift to Jerusalem and Paul to go with them. Now, I I think that act is not necessarily for the men to look after the money, but it's for Paul, to protect Paul, to protect Paul, to be good stewards of that gift. Before uh, I worked for the church, I worked in a bank and it was Santander and uh, I, I'd done financial advice. I was a mortgage advisor. But for a six-month spell near the beginning of my uh, career with them, I was a, a service and control manager, which basically meant I had to open up the bank in the morning. And uh, we had this security thing we had to do where we'd arrive. You'd have to wait on somebody else to come. And you would give, I'd have all, all the keys for the bank, which was like a million keys. It would weigh you down, honestly. But I had to give them the safe key before I went into the building. And it wasn't that, I don't think I was going to go in and have we look at the safe for five minutes and load my pockets. But it was to protect against that in a way, to be above reproach. In 1 Timothy 3, in a slightly different context, it speaks about being above reproach. It's the same instruction. To be accountable and to be careful in these situations. Not to be careless, but to treat this responsibility with integrity. And that's important in everything we do in life, not just with money. Am I doing this right? Is it honoring to God? Am I protecting myself from accusation? Am I protecting myself from temptation? 
Remember, the enemy loves to rob, loves to destroy, loves to kill. And we're called to snuff out that danger. So what's our our action in terms of considered and intentional giving? What's the practical response to that? Do we speak to our our spouse, our spice? Do we say spice? Spice? Do we speak to our spice? Sounds doesn't sound right. Do we speak to our, our family? Do we get round the dinner table and say, Who are we going to bless? Who's in need? Are we praying for what we know is going on around people we love? And asking God, what do we do here? Are we praying for stuff we don't know is going on and for prophetic insight? Lord, will you show me a picture for that person? Will you show me how I can help that person? Are we speaking to each other? What have you heard? Oh, I've heard that same thing. We need to do something. And this isn't just church. This isn't just this little crew we've got in here. This is for use out there, for people who don't know Jesus, to bless them in their times of need, not to restrict it. How exciting is it to think of that? Who could that be? Who are we thinking of right now? If all of us lived in that discipline, what impact would it have? Imagine the impact it would have pointing people to Jesus. So a call to intentional and considered giving. Also, we're to encourage each other in the work that we're called to. Paul was sending a young man called Timothy ahead of him to Corinth. We read that in verse 10 to 11. And they were to look after him, treat him well, and make sure he leaves well. Make sure he leaves in peace, is what Paul said. So Paul respected Timothy. He wanted to look out for him. He was his buddy. He wanted to make sure that he was taken care of and that he was encouraged. Encouragement goes a long, long way. It's a massive thing to encourage each other. There's a good illustration on encouragement about a man who went to his door. Every morning he had a a newspaper delivered to his door. And one morning he went to get his newspaper, opened the door, and he seen a dog there. And the dog was holding the newspaper in its mouth. And I went, oh, that's a bit strange. I'll give the dog a wee treat. It's taking the newspaper right up to the door. So he'd done that and thought nothing more of it. The next morning, he went down to get his paper. The dog was there with eight newspapers in its mouth, (laughs) ready for its treat. Encouragement goes a long, long way. It goes a long way. It's more important than we think. And just two things on encouragement. Firstly, it's biblical. It's biblical. God loves us to encourage one another. Let me just throw a couple of verses out to you. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Encourage and build each other up. Hebrews 10.23 Onwards Stir one another up towards love and good deeds. Ephesians 4.29 Only talk to come out of your mouth is for building up. Proverbs 12.25 Anxiety weighs a man down, but a good word makes him glad. Acts 15.32 Judas and Silas, who were prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. Encouragement is to be given, regardless of what the world may say, regardless, Timothy was young, it doesn't matter, regardless of our young, old, inexperienced, our history, it's biblical to give out encouragement. Secondly, it's to be given and not just thought. Often I know that God is placing words in my heart to encourage people and I forget to do it. (laughs) I hold back. I'll have those moments. I must speak to such and such. 
I must encourage them about that. That was such a great time. Oh, that was such a great thing they said. Or weren't they great there? I just urge us to be pouring out encouragement to one another because God uses it for his glory and his work. And there's none more evident than Paul himself. Uh, we spoke last week of his conversion, how he came to know God. And it was actually a lot to do with a man called Barnabas. And Barnabas means son of encouragement. That's the actual definition of Barnabas. And his encouragement, that it was down to his encouragement that Paul was first accepted into the church in Jerusalem. It says in Acts, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, Saul was Paul's name previous to him uh, meeting with God powerfully. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. You can imagine Barnabas going in and saying, be encouraged. Saul is now one of God's. Saul is now Paul and is preaching the good word of Jesus. I can't believe it, but I've seen it. Look at Paul's journey, thanks to encouragement. So encouragement and cheering each other on is to be at the heart of the church. And there was a lack of this in Corinth. Infighting and gossiping and misinterpretation. I'm sure there was good things going on. And amongst all that, but it's difficult to see. Encouragement helps us through the battles, reminds us of God's power, reminds us of God's hope, helps us live in a fallen world in a more holy way. But it's also important to say that in amongst that, we must have a structure to challenge. That it's not just encouragement, 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 and it's almost empty in the sense that we're thrown out all the time, all the time. All the time. <coughs> That we use encouragement for its true purpose. But also we must have a structure to challenge. To be accountable. To be more like Jesus. Because we will muck up. And we will need guidance. So yes, encouragement is to be active. And poured out. And amongst us. But we must also have that space where we're stretched. Where we're asked those difficult questions. Where we're developed. Where we're pulled up on areas that. Other people or that one person that is accountable to us knows we need to change. I need that. And we need to be asking ourselves, where can I be more effective for Jesus? What am I ignoring? So that comes down to the area of accountability. Meeting with someone, having a coffee with someone regularly and asking the difficult, being asked the difficult questions. Being open being allowed to be stretched and developed and challenged. And if you're sitting here this morning and you know, I could do with that. I know I could do with that. Speak to us. There's plenty of people that would be keen to be that person who meet with you. And uh, it's not. there's loads of people that meet up with people throughout the week. It's not like you'd be the one person. Oh, we've got one person in the congregation. We all do it. It's real life. We want to be closer to Jesus. We want things that are blocking our path to Jesus to be moved. That's what we want the culture to be, that we do that. That's real life and this is what we do. It's not just a pocket of people. It's our whole church. So encouragement is important. Also, stepping out and standing firm are to be done with a soft heart. 
we got the next slide, hopefully. Brilliant. So everything is to be done in love. Uh, verse 13 and 14. These two verses could have a number of talks about them all by themselves. And uh, I'm just going to reread it if I can find it. 13 and 14 says, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. It's an instruction, it's a rousing speech moment. When I read that and been reading it throughout uh, the past week, I can imagine Russell Crowe and Gladiator kind of saying, verse 13, and I'm going to give a, a shot, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. But I can't imagine him saying, do everything in love in that moment in Gladiator. You know, he's about to go into battle and he's, uh, I can, can't imagine him saying 14, but I can imagine him saying 13. Verse 14, do everything in love, underpins everything that Paul said in verse 13. He's saying, yes, we have to stand up. We have to be in our guard. We have to stand firm. Yes, we have to stand out. We have to be courageous. We have to be strong. But it's all to be done in love. That's the heartbeat right there. That's what's to underpin standing up for Jesus and standing out for Jesus. So when we have a hard time being a Christian, maybe in our family or in amongst our friends, however frustrated you're feeling, however much grief you're getting, we respond in love. When we have a decision in the workplace where our integrity may be in question around maybe our hours or starting something that, or doing something that's untrue, you know is wrong, or people giving one individual a hard time constantly, we stand up, but we do it in love. When you know there's a heap of people in your life that you know that God is wanting you to speak about him to them and you get rebuffed, you get, you get some grief. You love them. When life is tough and everything is crumbling and people, there's loads of people around you that you could explode in front of, you can feel it. Let love win. And I am absolutely 100% under no illusions how difficult that is. And I'm speaking from personal experience in that. But it's, it's not easy. But what God is saying, when we see injustice, when we see inequality, when we see unfair treatment of people, or we need to take a step out of situations that could impact a whole heap of other stuff, we're to have a soft heart. We're to approach with a soft heart. Not a bull in a china shop. Not with the loud, booming voices. Not plotting our next move, but in love. If you are, are sitting here this morning and uh, you're struggling with that in terms of those emotions you're maybe feeling, or finding it difficult to respond to that, we would love to pray with you this morning for Jesus to remove those blockers. He would love to do that and he will do that. So please respond and uh, we'd love to pray with you later on. And we love because he first loved us. And John, 1 John, it speaks of that. We're called to show the same love that was poured out for us. A love that lasts. A love that overcomes. A love that's victorious. And a love that empowers us to, to love more. It's only through Jesus. We can't do it ourselves. We can't. Do everything in love was intentionally last by Paul. Do all the other stuff, guys. Adopt all the qualities. Remember them, wear them, but do it all as Jesus would. 
And then just to, to close up, we need to recognize and then replicate love and action. We need to recognize and then replicate love and action. Before I, we were the site pastors here in City Church North, me and Mary were the youth pastors over in town in the Gilcomston Park uh, site. And we had a great time doing that. We've done that for, well, you've done it for ages, volunteering. Eight years? Something like that. And uh, But I was the youth pastor employed by the church for two, three, two and a bit years. But we were having a great time meeting with the young people every Tuesday evening, predominantly church uh, young people that families would come to church. But we were eager uh, to connect with the youth out there, the youth that weren't in the building with us. And uh, we didn't want to just head out and go to young people, hi, we're a church, do you want to come along on Sunday? Because that, that wouldn't work. So I had a look at what other people were doing. And there was another church that were going out with hot chocolates and just giving out free hot chocolate uh, to those in the town and then inviting them along to an event that was on uh, once a month. So I spoke to those guys. They told me how they'd done it. And uh, we recognized that this is something that worked and we looked to replicate it. Recognizing what is working, who's doing what well, and then replicating it in our context and learning from it is, is a common thing. I wonder how many of us do that in our jobs. How many of us do that as parents? When we hear other parents, oh, I've, have you tried this with the kids to put them to sleep? How many, how, how many of us do that as husbands, as wives? We recognize and identify what works well for others. And then we often go and give it a shot in our context. And it can be the same model of mission for Jesus. In Paul, Paul in verse 15 to 18, he speaks about the household of Stephanas. And something great was happening there. Something great was happening there. They devoted themselves to the service of the Lord. Paul was glad when they arrived. They felt refreshed. Their spirits were refreshed. These guys deserved being spoke about because they were, what they were modeling, what they were living by day by day was so great. And he's, de, he's deliberately mentioning this to the church in Corinth to stir them up. Look at what Steph, the household of Stephanas are doing. We are called to do the same through the lens of love, to recognize and to honor those who are doing extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. Those who are devoted to the mission, to cheer them on, then for us to go and replicate it. And maybe it is to do something similar, or maybe it's to replicate it in the sense of what's your bit? What's our bit in the picture? These guys get it. They're doing amazing things. Lord, what have I to do? And it gets me really, really excited hearing stories across all the sites about people uh, devoting themselves in service to Jesus, doing the most amazing things to advance the kingdom of God, from the big to the small, feeding the hungry week in, week out across all the sites uh, and services, inviting them in, opening our houses, having people stay with us, giving cars, making 500 plus cookies week in, week out. All the cookies we eat each Sunday, they are made by a family in our church that make them across all the sites. And I think it's about 500 each week. Changing light bulbs behind the scenes. Loving when no one else will. Encouraging, pointing people to Jesus. Going out for coffee, giving people meals, holiday homes, jobs. What's our part? What's our part? What do we recognize in other people 
like Paul did with the, the family of Stephanas? And what are we knowing that God is calling us into to demonstrate love and action in a devoted and deliberate way? Why don't we stand?